Amen. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, band. Well done, y'all. And again, welcome. Thank you again so much for being here. And, and as we've been saying, not only is this our launch Sunday that we're celebrating uh, the launch of our church, but, but we're launching a brand new series today as well. And we are, we are starting out this new series, as you can see, going verse by verse through the book of Acts. And, and we're going to spend, man, I can't even tell you, it's going to be, it's going to be a while. So y'all get ready to camp out in Acts for a while. We're going to dig deep. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of all things Acts. And uh, to help with that, if you're wanting some more information on Acts, if you're wanting to, uh, in your personal time, kind of study along with us and follow along and read, uh, this won't match up exactly with the sermons, because like I said, we're going we're gonna to go slow and steady. Uh, but I have this packet. It'll be available on the table, uh, one of the tables right outside as you leave today. But I have this packet. It walks through uh, three steps of how to study and read your Bible during your personal time that I teach. Uh, it's also got uh, an outline for Acts. It's got a, a daily reading plan. If you Again, if you wanted to study along with Acts. It's all in here. It won't be perfectly lined up with what we do on Sundays, but uh, it'll definitely uh, help you in your personal time if you wanted to, uh, to do that along with us. So feel free to grab that on your way out today. Uh, but we're, like I said, we're, we're going to get started today, and, and we're going to kind of do some, some big picture stuff uh, today. And uh, to start that off, I'll tell you a little, little story. Uh, we, uh, Kinder and I, several, several months ago, ordered a filing cabinet filing cabinet for our home to, you know, store files in, as one does with a filing cabinet. So we ordered it, and, uh, you know, thinking it, it'd be here at some point, uh, well, it, you know, sat somewhere. I don't even know where, but again, we ordered it months ago, and finally we got the notification that it shipped, like, a couple weeks ago, and it finally arrived at our house. Again, months of waiting for this little filing cabinet, so it came in, and I was like, all right, here we go. I'm going to put this together. I, I open up the box one afternoon uh, after the kids had gotten home from school. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do this. You know, it's, it's a two-drawer filing cabinet. Should be simple. Should be easy. I'm going to knock this out before dinner. And uh, something you should know about me, um, handy has never been an adjective used to describe me. This is not, it's not in my wheelhouse. That is not how the good Lord saw fit to wire me. Now, I've, I've grown in that a little bit because I can put together a filing cabinet sometimes. But, but other than that, if, it, if it's more tricky, than that, I struggle, all right? So just keep that in mind. Uh, so I, I get this filing cabinet, I open up, I unbox it, get all the pieces out, whatever, and I start putting it together. And you know, it has you build like the, the cabinet part, and then you got the drawers separately, and then it comes to the end, the last step is to put the drawers in. And I'm like, okay, well, that, that seems easy enough. I got, I got the drawers right here, I've got the other parts right here, all put together, nice little box here. So I just, you know, stick the drawers in. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I start doing that, and it's, it's supposed to just like click in and then slide in nice and easy. It was not doing that. It was not doing that. I was having to like really force the drawers in there, especially the bottom drawer. The top one was fine, but the bottom drawer, it was just struggling. I was, I was having to like maneuver it around and like push it in like any, it, it like just moving it at all. I had to force it in and then force it out. And I'm, I'm starting to get frustrated at this point and I'm starting to get mad and I'm starting to get mad at the cabinet and I'm having to pray a lot. And then finally Kendra's like, hey, it's, uh, it's almost time for dinner. Why don't, you, why don't you put a stop to that? And it was, it was a good timing because again, I was just, I was fed up with the filing cabinet. I was really frustrated with it. But, you know, it tends to, what, what helps me sometimes is when I hit a wall with something, it helps to kind of step back, right? It helps to kind of just step back and just take a break from it. I have to do that with sermon prep sometimes. If I just hit a wall, I'm like, man, I got I to gotta stop and I got to step back and just take a break from this. So dinner time was a good excuse to take a break. And after we got the kids in bed, Kendra's like, hey, how's the, you done with the filing cabinet? 
I was like, no. No, I'm very frustrated with that filing cabinet. And it, I, I just kind of came to the decision that, you know what, the drawers must be broken. They're just broken. It doesn't work right. And here I'm, I'm thinking, man, it took us months to get this thing. And now I'm going to have to ship it back. And then it'll be another six months before the replacement comes. And I'm sure that will have broken drawers as well. So she's like, all right, well, good luck with that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to throw it out. But just, you know, thank you. Appreciate that. So I finally come back to it. And like I said, I after taking a step back, my head was a little bit more clear, and I, I came back and I looked at the filing cabinet, which I was putting together, you know, just kind of on the ground in our, in our entryway by our front door, and I noticed something. that The bottom drawer was, like, really, like, sitting right on top of the ground. Like, there wasn't really any sort of gap to it. It was just right on the ground, and I thought, huh, you know, that, that's odd. That, that seems weird. Yeah, maybe that's why the drawers isn't working, and I remembered that it came with wheels. It came with wheels, and I thought, you know what? I don't need wheels for a filing cabinet. I'm just going to sit in one spot in our house. I don't need, I don't need wheels. I'm like, wheels. I'm not going to put those wheels on there. But it turns out that in order to get the filing cabinet up off the ground enough to open the drawer smoothly, the wheels were required. Needed the wheels. Was made to have wheels. And if you didn't have wheels with it, was not going to work anymore. And I didn't see that right away. But I had to take a step back and I finally see it. Okay, it's on the ground. I put the wheels on. Sure enough, it's sitting up high enough now where the drawers open mostly pretty smooth. All right? So yeah, yeah, I know. It's pretty awesome. I put together a filing cabinet, y'all. I'm pretty proud of myself. But see, like I said, it helped to kind of step back. Now, I don't know if you guys are, are with me on that. Some of y'all are like, no, I just, anytime I hit a wall, I just I push through those walls, Travis. I don't know anything about taking a step back and a what are you talking about? No, push through those walls. But for me, again, it helps to kind of step back, get a fresher picture of it, kind of see and get a different mindset, kind of see it from a different angle, see it from a different standpoint, and see why things are the way they are. It just helps clear my mind. Well, that's what we're going to do today as we kick off Acts. We're going to start off Acts. We're going to kick off in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at the first three verses, but really, once we hit that, we're going to be bouncing around. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a step back. We're going to take a step back and we're going to see the bigger picture of Scripture. We're going to take a step back and we're going to look at the the larger storyline of Scripture and see where Acts fits in with the story of Scripture. So again, Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, awesome. If not, we'll have the verses on the screens behind me. We'll also have Bibles right there on the table. You can grab one of those uh, on your way home. Please feel free to do that if you don't own one. That's our gift to you. But starting out in Acts, let me read the first three verses here. It says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right, so right away what we see, right away what we see with Acts is Acts is part of a larger story. Acts is part two of a larger story that its author, Luke, already started. All right, so Luke is the author. Maybe you're familiar with Luke's other book. It bears his name. It's the Gospel of Luke. If you kind of flip a few pages to the left in your Bible, you'll hit the Gospel of Luke. And in Luke's Gospel, he writes to this man, Theophilus. And we don't really know much about Theophilus, don't know who he is, uh, by all sense of the word, it's a popular name during this time, so we don't know who he is. But somebody that, that Luke knew, best guess is he was a, a person who put his faith in Jesus, and like so many of us, when we put our faith in Jesus, you know, struggles come, doubts come, and he, he's beginning to question, man, is, is Jesus real? Is Jesus who he really said he was? Did he do all the things that he said he was going to do? So Luke writes his gospel to reassure this man 
of his faith. And Luke, something you should know about him, Luke is a doctor, Luke's a historian, Luke is, is precise and exact with what he does. So what Luke did with the Gospel of Luke and what Luke does with, with the book of Acts is he gets accounts straight from eyewitnesses. So Luke is interviewing people, he's getting the story straight from eyewitnesses, and he's telling the story in his first book about Jesus. Here's who Jesus is, here's who Jesus is, here's what he taught, here's what he did, and these are all eyewitness accounts. And he continues that story in the book of Acts. He continues telling the story of Jesus. Because Jesus' story doesn't end with his resurrection. Just when, when Jesus rises from the dead and he ascends back into heaven, his story is not over. Jesus' story continues on. And that's what the book of Acts is about. Luke is telling the continuation of this story. Of this story. But see, Acts is not just a continuation of Luke's story. Acts is a continuation of all of Scripture. All of Scripture. So when we look at Scripture, when we take a step back and we look at the big picture of Scripture, what we see is that all of Scripture is telling the same story. It's telling the same story, and that story is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who Jesus is and what Jesus would do for us and, and us as his followers, how we're to live our lives according to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Every page speaks to Jesus. That's what the story is about. There, there's 66 books in your Bible, 66 books written across thousands of years, written by 40 plus different authors, and they all tell the same story. They all tell the same story. So that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to zoom out. We're going to get to a 30,000 foot view. We're going to look at Acts from a different perspective. Now this is often called, when we do this, when we study the big story of scripture, it's often called, the, the fancy word for it is meta-narrative. So if you want to sound really smart, you can just you know, throw that in there when you're talking. Oh, do you, do you know about the meta-narrative of scripture? Let me tell you about that. You, know, you can sound really cool and smart. Or maybe you're just like, no, that's a nerd, Travis. Get out of here. I get it. I'm a little bit of a nerd, but it's okay. So the meta-narrative of scripture, that's what it is. And really cool thing, uh, ladies, those of you that signed up for the women's Bible study, you are going to be spending time studying this exact thing, studying the meta-narrative of scripture. And those, the, that Bible study starts uh, this Wednesday. All right, so keep that on your books. You sign up for the women's Bible study. That starts this Wednesday, digging into the meta narrative of Scripture. And, and the meta narrative of Scripture, the big story of Scripture, can be summarized uh, in four parts. Four parts creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So that's our outline for the day. If you're a note taker, that's where we're going. So the four big points creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So that's where we're going. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into that and our first point, uh, creation. And, and like all good stories, we got to start at the beginning, right? Like you can't just, if you're, you're reading something, uh, you don't want to just, if you're reading a novel or reading a book, you don't want to just, you know, let me just open up to a page and just start reading and I'm sure I'll understand what's happening. Like nobody does that. When you, when you read a book, you, you start at page one. And you start there at the beginning and you read that book. But too often when we come to scripture, we just parachute into these places in scripture without any understanding of the larger story of what's happening, of what's going on. So again, that's why we're starting here. Because like I said, we're going we're gonna to dig into the nitty gritty, the details of Acts. But I don't want us to lose the forest in the trees or the leaf or the branches that we're going to be looking at. Let's keep this larger story in mind. So let's, to do that, let's back up to the beginning. And your Bible start out, Genesis 1-1 starts out and says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's your main character. 
That's who this story is about. This story, scripture, it's all about God. It's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. It's all about God and what he has done. And what, what the Bible says here is that, that it starts out with God creating everything. See, in the beginning, there was God, and that was it. But then God spoke, and he started creating, and he created everything. He created it all. He created the heavens and the earth. He created uh, light and darkness. He created the sky and the earth and, and water and oceans and rivers and streams. He created all of that. He created the sun. He created the moon. He created the, the planets and the billions and billions of stars that are in our universe. He created all of it. He created it all. He created mountains and trees and flowers and plants. He created animals. He created a fish, the dolphins and sharks and whales and eagles and alligators and deer and horses and, and even those weird kangaroos and all those other weird animals in Australia. He created all of it. He created everything except for cats. Satan created cats. Just kidding, y'all. Just kidding. Just kidding. God, God, I heard name over there. Just kidding, y'all. Just kidding. God, God created the cats too and Satan. He created all of it, all right? He created everything. God created all of it by speaking it into existence. And then what the Bible tells us in, in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us God got to the sixth day and he created his most favorite thing of all. James chapter 1 speaks of, of God's favorite thing as, as God's first fruits of creation. That means the very best part of creation he created on the sixth day. And what was that? It was us. It was us. It was mankind. It was man and woman. God created man and woman. And it says this in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created us. God created mankind. He created man and woman. The very first man and woman was, was Adam and Eve. And God says that he created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve in his image, in his likeness. And what that, what that means is, is God created us to be like him. God created us to be like him, to, to reflect and display and to show his character and his traits and his goodness all over the earth. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We, we're, we are to be like God. We're to reflect our creator. And then it tells us that, that God gave us a job to do. He gave humanity a job to do. He didn't just create us and say, hey, just good luck with life. Figure it out. Call me if you need me. No, God gave us a job to do. He says that we're to be fruitful and multiply. We're to have dominion over the earth. What this means is, is mankind was created to live for God, to follow God, to, to rule over creation on his behalf, to extend his reign and rule over this world. So to make more and more image bearers of God that, that would live and do the same thing. That would love God and follow God and serve God and live for God. That, that's what we're called to do. That, that was our job. 
Be fruitful and multiply. Extend my image across the world. And then at the end of this creating, we get to day seven, and God says, everything's good. It's good, and it's perfect, and God, God rests from his creating. Now, now why, why does this matter? Why, why does it matter to start here at the beginning with creation? Well, it matters because some of our, our biggest questions in life are answered right here. Right here in the first chapter of your Bibles, the opening verses, they're answered right here. The question's like, like who am I? Who am I? What, what's my identity? What's my purpose in life? What, what, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And we, we, we ask ourselves these questions in some way, shape, or form all the time. All the time, we're constantly looking for, for places to put our identity in, to find our purpose in. You know, we, we, we do it with, with our jobs. You know, we try to find our identity or our purpose in our jobs or, or our job title or the company that we work for or, or you know, what we do in our free time or as a, as a husband or a wife or, or a mom or a dad. And some of us, we try to find all those things in our kids. Like some of y'all are trying to live out your dreams as a child through your kid right now. Just let you know that ain't going to work out well. So just, just heads up. That's not going to work out. But we ask ourselves these questions all the time. You know, how often do, do we, when we meet somebody new, right, when we talk to somebody new for the first time, how, how quickly do we get to the question, so what do you do? What do you do? That might not be the first question, but it's going to be the second or third, right? You might ask, yeah, hey, do you have any kids? You married? You know, whatever. Oh, what, what do you do? What do you do for work? I mean, so often we, we find our identity in, in these things in life. We try to define our purpose and find out who we are in the things of this world. And so we need to ask ourselves, who or what am I looking to to find my value, my worth, my purpose, my identity? And I want you to hear, I want you to hear this. Those answers, the answers to those questions, they can't be found apart from Jesus. They can't be found apart from God's word. We can't find those truly. We, we truly cannot find those answers apart from God. We can try. We can try, but that's not how God designed us. These answers are only found through God. Who are we? Who are we? We're, we're image bearers of Jesus. We're image bearers of God. We're, we're God's creation made in his image and likeness to display him to the rest of the world. That's who we are. What am, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Why did God create me? Why, why am I here? What's to love and trust and depend upon and, and to live for God and call others to do the same? That's my purpose. That's my identity. That's who I am. So our story begins with creation, a good and perfect creation, with, with humanity called to carry on God's word and God's work to the rest of the world. But unfortunately, it doesn't stay good, and that brings us to our, our second part of the story, and that's the fall. We've got creation, and we've got the fall. So along with, with identity and purpose that God gave Adam and Eve, he, he gave them a command. He gave them a command. He said, look, you can, have, you can have anything you want in the garden. You can have anything you want in creation. Have it all, except, except don't eat of the, fru the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's your one rule. Don't, don't do that. Don't eat of that fruit from that tree. Don't do it. God says, if you eat of that, you're going to die. You're going to die. But sadly, Adam and Eve disobeyed, and we see this story in, in Genesis chapter 3. 
So I'm going to read that for us, and we'll, we'll spend some time talking about it. It says this, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. By the way, fellas, don't blame stuff on your wife. That's not going to work out either. (laughs) Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. All right, so uh, what's going on here? Satan, the great deceiver, the devil, he disguises himself as a serpent in the garden, and he comes to tempt Adam and Eve. He comes in and he, he wants them to question. He wants them to doubt what God told them. So, so Satan comes and he says, did God really say? Did, did, did God really say that? Well, yeah, he did really say that. Okay, well, did, did God really mean that though? Did he really mean it? See, it seems like, seems like he's holding out on you. Seems like he's holding out on you. See, that's, that's what Satan does. He wants them to question and doubt God. He wants, them, uh, he wants to break their trust in God. But see, what we need to remind ourselves is, is God gives us commands because he loves us. He knows what's going to happen if they eat of that tree, and he wants to protect his kids from that. He's saying, no, don't do that. I mean, any of us in here that are parents, we, we get that, right? Like, we, we give our kids commands to protect them. If you're a teenager or a kid in here, you're like, nope, that's not it. They're trying to hold out on me. They're holding out on me. No, they're not. They love you, okay? They love you. Cut them some slack, all right? They love you. They're trying to protect you. Make sure you, you grow up to make good, wise, smart decisions, all right? So don't, don't give them too much of a hard time. But that's what we think, right? We, we have this mindset, oh, well, God, God's holding out on me. He's holding out on me. This is what Satan does. He, he, he wants us to, to stop believing, stop trusting something God. He wants to break our trust in God. And that's the thing about sin. Every single sin that we commit, that we struggle with, can be traced back to us not believing something about God. Every single one. Every single sin that we struggle with, every single temptation that we give into, can be traced back to us not believing something about God. Not, not believing in, in his goodness, or his grace, or, or his power, and his might, and his sovereignty, or his provision, any, any number of things that we see in scripture. Every sin starts with us going, did God really say? Did God really mean that? And that's exactly what happened here. Adam and Eve disbelieved God, and sin and death entered the world. And see, uh, the Bible says this uh, about sin in, in Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. So uh, just kind of give you guys a, an understanding here of what's going on here. That, that word for all that's used there, it means all. All of us. 
Every single person. You're a person in here. You're a sinner. That's what it tells us. Me, you, everybody, your grandma, everybody is a sinner, okay? Every single person has sinned. Now, what does it mean to sin? The word that the Bible uses for sin kind of gives this picture of us missing the mark. Now, we hear that and we think, okay, let's try to imagine an archer aiming for a target. We hear miss the mark and it's like, okay, I was aiming for the center and I'm just, you know, I'm a little off. Just, I'm slightly off to the right. I just, you know, I need to, I need to correct it a little bit more and I got this. And then, I'm, then I'm dead on. No, that, that, that missing the mark means that, hey, there's the target over there and, and we're aiming over here. And we shoot and we're like, man, I was close. Almost had that. No, you didn't. You're, you're totally off the tracks here. You are far gone. All right, that's the idea of sin. And, and the, the mark that we're aiming for is God's standard of perfection. See, God is a holy and perfect God. And to be in his presence, we, we have to be holy and perfect and without sin. But, but we're, we're aiming over here. God's over here. We're, we're aiming over this way. We're missing the mark. We're falling short. And that is every single one of us. Every single one of us. If we've ever thought, done, or said something that goes against what God says in his word, it goes against God's character, it goes against who he is, if we've done any of that, we're a sinner. I'm not going to make you raise your hands and confess that in front of everybody, but just know we're all sinners, okay? Every single one of us is a sinner. Now, what happens because of sin? Well, God said that, that death comes in, right? And this is what's said in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, what that means is the wages, what, what our sin earns, what our sin did, gives us is death. It's death. It's spiritual death. It's spiritual separation from God, and it is ultimately physical death. Sin brings about death and destruction everywhere it goes. Everything it touches, it destroys and it wrecks, and that includes us. The wages of our sin is death. Because we've sinned against a holy and perfect God, the punishment has to fit the crime. And our punishment has to be eternal and complete. So our sin deserves wrath and separation and eternal torment and wrath and hell forever. That's what our sin deserves. That's what we've earned for ourselves. So that's sin. That's what happens when Adam and Eve sin. That's what happened. And look how they, look how they responded. How they responded. They, they immediately felt guilt and shame. They felt guilt and shame. They knew they messed up and they could feel it. And this is what sin does. Look, we know when we've messed up. We know when we've done something that we shouldn't have done, said something we shouldn't have said. We, we know that. We might try to suppress that feeling. But it's there. We, we know when we mess up. This is what sin does. It makes us feel guilt and shame. We feel guilt and shame. And then look at the second thing they did. Second thing they did was they, they looked for somebody to blame, right? Adam's blaming his wife, and his wife's blaming the serpent. Why'd you do this? Well, she made me do it. Well, why'd you do it? Well, the serpent made me do it. When we sin, when we mess up, we, we know, we know there's something deep within us that's, that knows somebody's got to pay for this. Somebody's got to pay for this. I don't want it to be me. It wasn't me. I'm trying to find somebody else to blame. They need to be punished. But somebody, somebody somewhere needs to be punished when something wrong happens. Like we, we know this deep within us. So they, they messed up and they knew somebody needed 
to pay for that. And look, we feel the same stuff, right? We, we feel guilt and shame when we mess up. Some of y'all might, might be here coming in today and you're just carrying bags full of guilt and shame for the things that you've done, for the mistakes you've made, for the decisions that you've made. Others might be carrying on anger and bitterness because that person that did that thing to you, man, they haven't been punished yet, or they haven't been punished enough. And I'm just, I'm angry, and I'm bitter, and I'm resentful about that because somebody's got to pay. This is, this is the result of sin. This is the result of sin. And, it, and look, here's the deal. All of humanity carries this with us. When, when sin entered the world, it, it infects everybody, every human. This is why when my kids were, were one and two and, and growing up figuring things out, I didn't have to teach them to sin. I didn't have to teach them to not do things that they weren't supposed to do. They just, they just know it. They just know it in their hearts and they're evil, wicked little sinners that need saved by Jesus, right? Like, I know, kids are precious. No, they're sinners. They're sinners, okay? At least mine are. But this, this, this sin, this fracture that happens with, with the image of God within us, it, it infects everybody everywhere. It infects everything everywhere. So this is the broken part of our story. This is the broken part of sin. This is the fall but the good news of the Bible is that it doesn't end at Genesis chapter 3. It doesn't stop in Genesis chapter 3 because what I love about that story is when they've sinned, what does God do? He comes into the garden looking for his people. He pursues Adam and Eve and he pursues us too. And that's where our story continues because God provides a way for our sin, our guilt, our shame to be taken care of. And that's the third part of our story, redemption. Redemption. See, sin didn't stop God's plan or cause him to start over. God doesn't see Adam and Eve disobeying and sin coming in. He's like, oh man, didn't see that coming. Guess I got to figure something out. What am I going to do now? That's not God. That's not God. God's plan has always been, remember Genesis 1, God's plan has always been to fill the earth with his people and dwell with them in perfect creation. That's God's plan from the beginning. And sin does not alter God's plan. This is not kind of throw a wrench in God's plan here. No, he's continuing on with his plan. His plan has always been redemption. His plan has always been the salvation of his people. And what I love about Genesis 3 is right away God promises that he's going to take care of that serpent. He's going to take care of that serpent. He says this in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to Satan here. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And what that tells us here, well, what... What the author of Genesis, Moses, is writing here, the words of God here, what that means is, is there's, there's coming an offspring. There's coming another person. And he's going to take care of that serpent. He's going to take care of Satan. He's going to crush his head. You're going to bruise his foot. You're going to hurt him a little bit. But he's going to end you. That's the promise. Right away, God is saying, look, I'm going to take care of this. I got this. I got this. Trust and follow me. But during this time of, of waiting for this to happen, what does sin do? As it always does, it multiplies, it spreads, it infects everything. And when you study your scripture and you continue reading in Genesis, you see that, that just three chapters later, in, in Genesis chapter 6, sin had gotten so bad that God's like, I'm done with y'all. I'm done with y'all and I'm starting over. And he takes Noah and his family and he starts humanity over again with Noah. He floods the entire earth, only saving Noah, his family, and the animals. And he starts over with Noah. And, and guess what, Command he gave Noah. 
It's the same one he gave Adam and Eve. When, when Noah comes out of the ark after the waters recede, he tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my image bearers, follow me, extend my reign and rule over this world. The plan has not changed. Sin doesn't get in the way of God's plans. It continues on. So God's plan continues, but sin continues to grow as well. And then, then what we see do, God do, he takes the next step in his plan here, and he, he calls a guy named Abraham. And he comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to start a brand new nation out of you. I'm going to form my people from your offspring. He tells them this in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see with Abraham, he's, he's going to start a brand new people with Abraham. And what are those people going to do? They're going to fulfill God's plan. They're going to fill the earth with God's image bears, with people who are following Jesus, living for God. See, the thing about Abraham, though, is he was about 75 at this point. No kids. No kids at this point. And God says, hey, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And he's like, yeah, sure you will, God. I'd like to see that happen. And then 25 years later, at the nice old age of 99, Abraham and Sarah have their promised child. They have Isaac. And the nation starts. The nation is formed. And Isaac has a son named Jacob. And that, that son, Jacob, has, has 12 sons. And those 12 sons would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we come to the end of Genesis. There's a famine wreaking havoc over the world. And God, again, preserves his plan. He protects his people. He keeps going. He brings Jacob and his family to Egypt where they can have food, where they can survive, where he can protect them and build a nation. And that's exactly what happens. You fast forward 400 years, the Israelites have become this great nation in Egypt. And now the Egyptians have caught on to that and they've enslaved the Hebrews. They've enslaved the Israelites. But does that stop God's plan? No. No, that doesn't stop God's plan. God calls this guy named Moses, and he says, Moses, I'm going to use you to set my people free. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, set my people free. And over the course of the next few chapters, as you see this unfold, God brings the ten plagues to Egypt, and finally Pharaoh says, all right, y'all can go. Y'all can go, and they, they leave. They, they leave Egypt, and they go back to the land that God promised Abraham. This is what we call the Exodus. And with the Exodus, God is giving his people, and by us, extension by us today, he's giving us a little bit of foretaste of what God's going to do. He's giving them a foretaste of the salvation and the redemption that he is going to bring. That's what the Exodus gives us a picture of. It shows us, man, God cares for his people and his plan is not stopped by evil. So they come back into the promised land, and unfortunately, sin continues to grow and spread. The Israelites are much like us. We forget about God. We chase our own ways. We try to do our own thing apart from God, and it never works out, but we keep trying. So they forget about God. Sin continues to multiply, and God gives them more foretaste of the salvation to come. He brings them uh, saviors, men like, like Gideon and Samson, the judges, to, to rescue them from these other nations that are oppressing them and attacking them. He brings them kings like David and Solomon to, to extend his kingdom on the earth. He, he brings them uh, men like prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those names at the end of your Bible that we can't pronounce. He brings them to remind us about God and his ways, to call us back to God, that that we can only survive with God, that we have to live for God, that we need to follow God, that we need to chase after him. 
And look, what we need to see in the Old Testament, and these are, these are all a shadow and a foretaste of the coming salvation. Because look, none of these guys can fully save us from our enemies, right? We have, we have enemies on this earth, these evil nations, and Israel's, Israel thought, man, those are the bad guys. No, the bad guy's us. It's our sin. That's the enemy that God came to save us from. That's our worst enemy. And, and these, these pictures are just a foretaste of what the prophets spoke of, this, this promised offspring, this promised son, this promised Savior and Messiah, the future king of God that would, that would save and rescue and redeem God's people fully and completely. And we come to the New Testament and we see that offspring that offspring that was spoken of in Genesis 3, that offspring that was spoken of in Genesis chapter 12 has finally come, and it's God himself. It's God himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. And he came to be the savior of the world. He came to be the new and better Adam. He came to be the new and better Abraham, the new and better Moses. He came to fully rescue us from our greatest enemy, our sin. That's exactly what Jesus does. So Jesus comes, and just like Adam, just like Adam, Satan didn't leave Jesus alone just because he was God. No, he came all the more harder at him. He came to Jesus, and he tempted him and says, hey, you you sure you want to do things God's way? Why don't you come do it my way? Why don't you come live for yourself? Why don't you come do things a different way? Don't you need to follow God? He tempted Jesus just like Adam in the garden. But Jesus is the new and better Adam, and he continued on in perfection. He didn't give in to that sin. He didn't give in to the temptation. No, he continued on in perfection. He, he fully and perfectly followed God in all of his ways, something that you and I never could do, that we can't do. We can't get perfection on our own. We can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. And guess what? He did it. And he did it for us, and he did it on our behalf. So Jesus lives the perfect life that you and I never could. And then he goes to the cross, and on the cross, he takes on all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our anger and bitterness and resentment, all of our frustrations. He takes, he takes on all of that on the cross, and he dies the death that you and I deserved. He lived the life that we never could, and he died the death that you and I were supposed to die. We were supposed to fill God's wrath because of our sin. We were supposed to die and be eternally separated from God forever. That's what our fate was. That's what we were supposed to do. But God says, no, no, I love you too much. I love you too much. I'm coming for you and I'm going to save you. So Jesus takes on all of our sin. He takes on all of that on the Christ. He pays the debt in full. He sacrifices himself for us. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead, defeating sin, death, and the devil. And here's the good news of scripture. Here's the good news of this story, is that through faith in Jesus, we can have forgiveness. We can have full and complete forgiveness for our sins. That debt that we've stored up, that wrath that we deserved, can be wiped out, can be taken care of by faith in Jesus. And what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? It goes back to what we saw in the garden. It's saying, you know what, Jesus, I I trust in you. I believe in you. 
I'm putting my faith and my trust in you. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not trusting in my own works. I'm not trusting in my own goodness. I'm not trusting in my own ability. No, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put my faith in you. And the Bible says when we do that, when we put our faith in Jesus, we come into complete forgiveness past, present, future sins, all forgiven by Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. See, we're not saved by our own works. We're not saved by our own ability. We're not saved by, you know what, I was off the mark a little bit, so let me just correct and and I can do this on my own. No, we're not saved on our own. We're not saved by ourselves. No, we're saved because of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're saved because of Jesus, his grace. Only he can do this. Only he can remove this guilt and this shame that I feel. Only he can pay the price for the sin. Only he can give us complete forgiveness. And not only that, not only do we have forgiveness in this life, but Jesus says, when when you put your faith in me, he gives us the promise of eternal life. And that brings us to the last part of our story, and that's restoration. Restoration. So we have creation, fall, redemption through Christ alone, and, and restoration. See, there, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when, when all the sin will be completely put to an end. When there will be an end to all sin, all death, all pain, all suffering. See, just because we put our faith in Jesus doesn't mean that all of our problems just magically go away. Right? I mean, all of us, I won't make you raise your hand, but we, we all feel that. We know there's real, actual suffering in this world. And we know just because we've put our faith in Jesus doesn't mean that I never struggle with sin anymore, all right? None of us do. We, we still struggle every single day. But there is coming a day where that's going to be an end, where that will be no more. And remember, remember all the way back in Genesis, remember where our story began. God's plan is to dwell with his people in perfection. And there is coming a day, and we can fix our eyes on that. We can look forward to that day. And then a day is coming where we will get to spend eternity with God in complete perfection. Revelation, the last book of your Bible, the second to last chapter of your Bible, Revelation 21 says this, starting in verse one, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is where our story is going. If we've put our faith in Jesus, this is where it ends. Eternity in complete perfection with our God. Spending eternity with Jesus in a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, free from sin, free from pain, free from disappointment and frustration and sickness. All these evil and wicked things we see throughout the earth, gone. 
wiped away and we get to spend eternity with our God in complete, total perfection. That's the end of our story. That's what we get to look forward to. This is the story of scripture. This is God's story and this is our story. So where, where does the book of Acts fit in? As we, we've zoomed out, let's, let's zoom back in to the book of Acts. Where does Acts fit into the story of God? Well, Acts begins, as we said, it, it starts after Jesus' resurrection and ascension back up into heaven. He, he has spiritually defeated sin and death. The kingdom of God has started. It's started. He's kicked it off. But this final day that we just read about, that, that day hasn't started yet. It's not here yet. And until that happens, until Jesus comes back for the end here, we are, we are to, to, to be here to accomplish his work on the earth. That is, he leaves his followers so that we will continue on with his work. And remember what that work is? Or let's go back to the original purpose. What, what are we called to do as God's people? Fill the earth with more of God's people. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to see God's kingdom and God's image spread throughout the world. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to see more and more people living and reflecting Jesus in this world. That's, what, that's, that's a job that, that we've been given. That's the work that we've been called to. And how do we do this? How do we see this work fulfilled? How do we see this work happen? It's by telling other people about Jesus. That's the work that he's called us to. That's the work of the book of Acts is seeing God's kingdom spread, God's people grow and expand all over the world. So what we're going to see when we come to the book of Acts is, is God calls his people. He says, I'm going to give you power by the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be by your work. It's going to be by my work. It's not about you again. And remember, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about him and his work. He says, I'm going to accomplish this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. See, we see this, this work of God start in Jerusalem and the word spreads and the word goes out. And we see thousands of people put their faith in Jesus. And then it spreads to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. And then we see it start to spread to the entire earth. And that's, that's the work that we see in the book of Acts. That's the work that you and I are called to. We continue on with the book of Acts. We continue on in this, this work that Jesus has given us. And see, the beauty, the beauty of this is that we're not called to do it on our own. Right? Because in the book of Acts, what the Lord does is he creates this new community, this new group of people. See, so we had the nation of Israel, and now we have the church. Now we have the church as the people of God, and God saves us, brings us into this community, and then sends us out to go make an impact in the world in his name. That's the book of Acts. We go into all the world telling people about Jesus. And here's the cool thing about that, 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 that God calls us to partner with him in his work. The Bible says when we go and we preach and we share the good news about Jesus, when he does that, he saves people. He brings in more of his people. He extends his image more in this world. Through us just sharing and talking about Jesus, God works in that and he saves and rescues and redeems people. This is what he's always been up to. So Acts is a continuation of, of extending God's word and work on this earth. And it's the work that we're called to as well. 
We are called to go into all the world and make disciples, make followers of Jesus, giving these people, these new believers, a foretaste, a shadow of what's to come. This eternity and perfection of Jesus, living in complete perfection with Jesus, filling this new earth with his followers. That's what we're called to do. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's the spread of God's message and God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. So as we conclude today, I want you to think of where where you are in the story of Scripture. Where where do you find yourself in the story of Scripture? Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus. You're living for him and you're working to fulfill his mission. Praise God. Keep at it. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you know, you've gotten, gotten a little sidetracked. You've gone a little wayward. Maybe, maybe you're stuck in some sin right now. You're battling and you're struggling. I want you to hear that, that Jesus comes and he pursues you. He wants you to stay in your guilt and your shame that you're feeling. He wants you to repent and come back to him. That's all that means. Just saying, saying no, sin, I'm not going to live for you anymore. I'm coming back to Jesus. And his arms are always open for us. Always open. So come back to Jesus. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but, but you've neglected the mission. You've neglected the work that God has called us to, living for ourselves or focused on us or whatever it may be. Let's make today the day that we get back to work. Let's get back to the work that God has called us. Let's get back to the purpose of going and making disciples and being his witness. Now, maybe you're here and and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith in Jesus. And maybe you're thinking, you know, Jesus, that's a cool story, Travis. That was was all great and wonderful, but I don't need Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I can do this on my own. I got this. I want you to hear me. I love you, but you can't. You can't do this on your own. You can't. Again, God's standard is perfection. Perfection. None of us are perfect in here. We've already missed that mark. We've, uh, that ship has already sailed. We cannot save ourselves. But here's the beauty of the gospel. We don't have to. We don't have to. Jesus has already done that work for us. So come to him. Turn to him in faith. Maybe you're here and, and you haven't put your faith in Jesus and you're thinking, yeah, that sounds all nice and good, Travis. You know, being set free from my sin, being set free from my guilt and my shame. Yeah, sure, that sounds good, but you don't, you don't know. You don't know how much I've messed up. You don't know how much I've done. You don't know all the mistakes that I've made. And you're thinking about all the ways you messed up. You're thinking about all of your sin and all, all the ways you've sinned, all the ways you've stumbled. And you're thinking, there's no way God can save me. There's no way God even wants to save me. And what I want you to hear is that's a lie from the devil. That is a lie from the devil. Because we cannot out the cross. There is, is no sin too big and too great that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. Doesn't exist. This is what God does. He saves all types of sinners all types of brokenness. He's not scared of our sin. Look, here's the thing about God. He already knows all about that. He knows everything. He knows all the little secret stuff that you haven't told to anybody else. He sees it. He knows it. And you know what his response is? I love you. I love you and I want to save you. Come to me. Let me set you free.
Let me take care of that weight. Let me take care of that guilt. Let me take care of that shame. That's the message of Scripture. That's the message of Jesus. So come to him. Stop relying on yourself. Put your faith in Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So you're going to put your faith in Jesus. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. It's just as simple as saying, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve death. I know I deserve wrath. But I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm coming to you. I'm going to stop believing in myself. I'm going to stop believing in the lies of this world, and I'm going to believe in you. When you do that, he saves us. He saves us. He rescues. He redeems. This is what God does. This is his work. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to step into a time of worship and communion. And this time of communion is for the believers in the room. So if you put your faith in Jesus, this time is for us to maybe spend some time in prayer, reflecting on who Jesus is and, and his work and his salvation and, and all the wonderful things he's done. Maybe we need to spend some time repenting of sin, confessing things to the Lord. Take the time you need as you, believers in the room, if you, when you're ready, as you prepared your hearts, we have elements on either side of the room. We have, we have the bread, we have the cup that represents Jesus' broken body on the cross and his shed blood for our sins. And as you feel led, as you prepare your hearts and are ready, you can go to the tables, you take the elements, you eat and you drink and you remember and we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. If you're not a believer in the room, again, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. I want you to keep coming. This time isn't for you, but it can be. It can be. Again, the Lord's arms are open to all who would believe, all who would turn to faith in him. You can put your faith in him today and, and come and celebrate your first communion as a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, I would encourage you, come, let me know. Let, let somebody here know so we can celebrate with you the work that Jesus has done. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for the story of Scripture. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have created us and, Lord, that you have not left us in our sin, that you're a God who loves us so much that you come to save and rescue and redeem, that you pursue your people. You don't leave us in our sin, Lord. You chase after us and you save us you rescue us. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for your salvation. I pray for each of us in here, Lord, if we've, if we've gotten a little sidetracked, if we've gone wayward, if we've been living for our sin or ourselves more than you, Jesus, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you call us back to you? Would we turn to you in faith and repentance? Lord, I, I pray for those in here who might not know you. Lord, I pray that they would not leave today without putting their faith in you, without stepping into this story, without putting their faith and their trust in you, Jesus. Would you save them? Lord, only you can do that. So we ask you to do that, Jesus. We ask you to save and rescue and redeem like you've done from the very beginning, Lord. So we thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory and honor. It's your name we pray. Amen.